Welcome friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life. And we both know that that life starts inside of you. If you want to say goodbye to anxiety, frustration, and negative self-talk, and say hello to peace, mindfulness, gratitude, and living your best life, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not social conditioning, and not your past. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready. It's time to feel incredible from the inside out. Hey there, welcome back to another episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way that you can always support is by sharing it on social media and with the people that you love, especially if you know someone who might be struggling with breast implant illness. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content, especially if they're going through this specific challenge. So thank you so much in advance. And so if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you may know a bit about my journey with having breast implants. After suffering from severe, mysterious autoimmune-like symptoms for years, I finally discovered the cause, breast implant illness. Three years ago, I underwent explant surgery and began to share my story. I'll be honest, I was nervous. I didn't know how my story would be received. But I soon discovered an enormous community of women who shared the same experience. I began to receive endless messages from hundreds of women all over the world. And the messages are still coming in to this day. Today, I'm excited to be sitting down with two powerhouses in the field of breast implant illness. Dr. Brenner, a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon, and his breast implant illness patient liaison, Amanda Porta. Dr. Brenner has also done advanced training in rhinoplasty and is one of the select group of plastic surgeons specifically trained to utilize advanced techniques such as rib grafting for challenging revision cases. Amanda Porta has worked in the plastic surgery business for over 17 years. Amanda developed symptoms consistent with breast implant illness for several years following her breast augmentation surgery. She initially met with and underwent explant surgery with Dr. Brenner in 2019, and since that time, she has become a breast implant illness patient advocate. Today, she has teamed up with Dr. Brenner and has become his direct breast implant illness patient liaison and also oversees his holistic breast team. Today, we're going to discuss their personal experiences, progress being made in the industry, and the best ways to support patients who might also be experiencing breast implant illness symptoms. This is a topic that is deeply personal to me, and I'm so honored to continue this conversation today. Hi, Dr. Brenner and Amanda. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to have you guys here today to talk specifically about breast implant illness, Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the holistic breast team that you guys have carefully brought together in your practice to help individuals heal from BII. So again, thank you guys. And as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to, to spend some time with you guys. Likewise. 
Likewise. Yeah. So I've shared many times on my platform and podcast, my own personal experience with which you guys both know about breast implant illness and kind of my own descent into chronic illness, which lasted for several years. And upon getting my implants out and sharing my story, I remember feeling pretty scared at the time because breast implant illness wasn't really known. And I remember you reaching out when we both discovered that we had this mutual desire to get this information out into the mainstream and have as many individuals suffering as possible, just get this education that it potentially could be their implants. And so I'm so grateful that a few years later, you and Dr. Brenner have created this holistic breast team that now I'm a part of, and we all have the opportunity to really continue to spread this message and support others. So again, I want to personally express my gratitude for both of you, because I know um, so many individuals, ones that I personally have met, it's not until they officially meet both of you that they finally feel seen and heard and have that moment of hope. And so I would love to start with you, Dr. Brenner, as a medical doctor who is uniquely qualified and has a specialty in both plastic surgery and reconstructive surgery. Can we start a bit about your background and what led you to become internationally recognized, um, specifically, you know, in your Beverly Hills practice for individuals suffering from breast implant illness? Well, thank you for the introduction, number one. Um, my, you know, my background is plastic surgery. I, I actually went to medical school to become a pediatrician, but because I became so interested in surgery and plastic surgery along the way, that was sort of my path. And without delving too much into that, you know, I did, I was originally a general surgeon, but, but I, and I completed a residency in general surgery before I did plastic surgery. So I've, I've been doing, you know, breast surgery of all types, both for cancer and for reconstruction for the better part of, oh, I don't know, 20 plus years. Um, so, you know, when I started my practice in 2006, I just, it, it just sort of gravitated toward being a breast heavy practice. I do do all types of plastic surgery, BII and breast surgery is not the only thing I do, but it is a huge part of it. Uh, and has become an even bigger part since since uh, uh, Amanda helped put us put all this together and and really helping to take care of all these uh, BII patients. So, you know, I've told both of you guys this story many times, but I sort of got into this just by patients initially trickling into my office years ago, saying that they weren't they weren't feeling well. I didn't I didn't aim to become internationally recognized for this or for anything, I'm, I'm just trying to take care of patients. So the, um, you know, the people came in saying, I think my implants are making me sick. And we, I started taking out implants and started taking out the capsules. And lo and behold, I saw with my own eyes that they were getting better. And I, and I saw probably even more importantly is that in talking to a lot of these patients, not all of them, but a good number of them, you know, they would come in and what, one of the, apart from just not feeling well and having this constellation of different symptoms, which, which by the way, raised a red flag for me is because the stories became so familiar. Each one of them was similar to the next. And to the point where I was saying, that's really odd. And there, you know, these patients really had no secondary gain. They weren't after publicity. It wasn't, they weren't after money. I was thinking to myself, like, what's in it for these people to, to make this up? And I really couldn't come up with anything. 
and they legitimately seem to be getting better. And I had patients, and I still have patients from all walks of life. I mean, I have, I have patients who are, you know, grocery store clerks, nurses, you name the profession, all the way up to A-list celebrities who especially have no reason to make a stink about anything. And so, so it, it's been kind of an eye opener for me over the past, I don't know, four or five years, just seeing so many patients, and, but more, more importantly, seeing them get better. And every single patient that I comes in and for a consultation, and, and I spend a good amount of time during my consultations with patients just to kind of start with, because um, there's always a lot to go over and there's always a lot of questions to answer. And a lot of these patients have other legitimate complaints that we need to make sure are not another disease process. As an example, did an explant on a, on a 30 year old yesterday and her own primary care doctor thought she was nuts. That's his or her words, not mine. She, but she had legitimate like neurocardiac dysfunction and that a 30 year old should not have. I mean, she was perfectly healthy according to her prior to having her breast implants. And, but she had legitimate stuff. And I talked to her neurologist and I talked to her cardiologist and, you know, most of her testing was normal, was normal. They couldn't figure it out. And, and I keep seeing this pattern over and over again and no two patients are the same, but they all have various medical mysteries, if you will, that a, their doctors can't find a solution for and B seem to get better starting right after surgery. Now they don't all get better and I don't, I don't promise miracles to anyone. I'm very realistic, but if I can help them to get better and help them on the journey and then kind of put them in the lap of the breast team, because you guys all, you, you know, Sarah and Amanda are, are just two of the, two of the members of our team, but you guys do the lion's share of all the kind of follow-up care and a lot of it is just talking with the patients and answering questions and, and you know, making sure that, that they understand what the processes are and, and things like that. So, you know, I have to do my job in terms of helping them surgically and making sure that they're fit medically because, you know, it's breast augmentation. I know a lot of people don't view it as a big deal, but it's a big medical procedure and taking out the implants and taking out the capsules is a big undertaking it's a big stressor to the body and there's it's a big recovery and there's lots of factors that, that are involved in that and so i need to make sure that when we're doing it that it's done safely i don't want to have a problem with with a single a single patient you know complications are a normal part of surgery one of my mentors once told me if you don't have complications you're not operating enough and there's some truth to that um, but, but I still, you know, we, I have a very boutique practice and, and it's a very personal practice and, you know, my patients have 24 seven access to me before and after surgery if they need it. And, uh, that's how I like it. So going back to your original question, I'm just, I'm just really here to do what I can for, to help patients, whether it's this or someone for breast reduction or someone who has a hernia or whatever the case may be i'm just trying to do my best for my patients mm. 
Yeah, I know so many doctors have chosen to remain silent and even in a state of denial about this specific topic, especially in the face of legal battles and suppressed research and government hearings and you know, corporate money. And there's just so much behind this movement that's taking place. Was there a definitive moment where you decided, okay, it's time for me to speak out publicly about this? Because it's one thing to take, you know, take implants out. It's another thing to have a holistic breast team that deals specifically with breast implant illness and to talk about this publicly, especially when they're not even recognizing BII as a medical diagnosis yet. And so I'm curious if, if there was a moment for you or if it kind of just gradually um, evolved. I think, I think it's, I think you're right. I think exactly the latter is that it sort of evolved. I don't know that there was necessarily a singular light bulb moment for me. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Not, not about suppressed research and all that stuff. I mean, that, that's not for me to even comment on and you're probably right about it. But what I, in terms of uh, other physicians, either not acknowledging it because they're naive to, mm. to the whole idea, which is okay. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, a lot of patients come in my office and they're naive about stuff. The reason they come in is so that I can teach them about what they need to know, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we've been trying to do is to kind of like force multiply and educate not just patients, but educate other physicians in, in various specialties. I mean, I can't, I, I'm, I, I will tell you, like I, t- I deal with a lot of other uh, surgeons and non-surgeon physicians in multiple specialties, in, in particular subspecialties like cardiology and uh, rheumatology ob like all these different specialties because there's uh, and internal medicine right because a lot of these patients i i feel it's my due diligence to send them to get medical clearance and to get certain preoperative testing and um and i'm surprised when i have one of these physicians say all right i'm all on board this is amazing like i really think she's going to get better and i always say i agree. I think she's going to get better. I'm glad you're on board because I I've gotten a lot of riff. I mean, I don't know if it's not, not, not a lot of outright in my face, but I'm sure there, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot in approximately, I think it was, it was just before kind of the COVID epidemic hit. I was at a plastic surgery meeting locally in Los Angeles, and it was specifically about breast implant illness. And you know, I was in a room with 40 other plastic surgeons in the area. And I think maybe, maybe one other surgeon raised their hand when I said, you know, who believes in this? Mm. Maybe there was one. And, and, and I've talked to people privately about it. And I know that patients, I know that there are surge, other surgeons other than who is vocal, being vocal about it, who are explaining patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got, I've also had a lot of um, outward grief about it. I mean, I thought some of these doctors were going to throw tomatoes at me because they thought I'm a loony bin, but I'm not a loony bin. I am as legitimate of a plastic surgeon as any board certified plastic surgeon in this country. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I put in my time, I've done my training. And like many people, we, as as not only in medical school, but in, in my surgery residencies, you know, we're, we're, 
there's a little bit of a leap of faith in terms of training, in terms of like what we consider to be acceptable and what we consider to be okay. And, and yes, there's literature and that's kind of what, that's sort of our Bible is, you know, is to practice by the numbers. There's a lot of experience that goes with that, but it's also practiced by the numbers and we change our paradigms based on data and research and studies. Um, but if those studies are flawed or if the data is not 100% accurate, then what, or if, if what we think is acceptable is not actually acceptable, but it has been pushed upon us, then that's sort of in, in some sense out of, out of most of our control in terms of in terms of how we were trained hmm. and what i mean by that is as an example I, I i was just talking with a colleague of mine who's a hernia surgeon who for a long time we've been talking about she has patients who have mesh implant illness very akin to breast implant illness and it, it, part of my conversation with her and that and seeing other things and, and also kind of watching how some of these covid patients, the long haulers have been presenting, you know, my, my thought with breast implant illness is that the body's immune system is reacting to having this foreign body. And that's, that's really what I genuinely believe mm -hmm. is the problem. Um, and that's starting to kind of pan out in some studies. I, I, you know, in the last year, there's been an increasing number of studies that have come out about breast implant illness, not specifically in the U.S., but internationally, in particular in Australia, there've been a couple of good studies that have come out recently, but more importantly, in our, in our society, in the, you know, the ASPS last spring at our national meeting, um, this is, you know, a good two years after I almost had tomatoes thrown at me, I, I saw the first sort of change in behavior from not a lot, but some plastic surgeons who, who hold leadership positions they have panels about BII. They're starting to do research um, about BII. And so like, it may not seem like a lot, but in order to get that needle to move, it takes a lot. And the only thing that has moved that needle has been the patients and the people advocating for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this has been kind of eye-opening for me because it's really been a patient-driven phenomenon. I can't think of another disease process or medical issue where patients have sort of banded together and demanded to their physicians that things need to change and that something needs to be done. And it's, it's, it's a unique thing. Now, along with that, there's some, there's a lot of noise and misinformation along the way, but I think the general, uh, the general kind of wave is in the right direction. And, you know, if, uh, and it's, it seems to be that people are doing better having, having their breast implants out. It doesn't happen to everybody, um, but they're doing better. The ones that do have it do better. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very clear to me. It's very clear to a lot of the surgeons, the other explant surgeons that I've spoken to because, you know, Amanda's been great about like connect, connecting the explant surgeons that are around the country. Um, and so that we could have a platform to talk to each other, which is kind of how medicine, that's kind of what national meetings are like, but that sort of has been all, all messed up by COVID. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's, 
No, there's no question in my mind that the question of BII is being discussed in the medical community. It's starting to come to a head. Um, there are research studies being done. I'm involved in in two of them at the moment, and you know I, I'm aware of others. And I, I think you know that unfortunately this stuff takes time. I know you you had alluded to the fact that people don't think that it's a medical issue because there's like no ICD-10 code for it. And that, I mean, that's, that I believe, you know, I'm not, I have nothing to do with the ICD-10 mm -hmm. system and who gets what and what gets assigned and what gets changed. I was, I was flummoxed when they went from ICD-9 to ICD-10 because it increased the number of codes about tenfold. But, uh, but you know, the, I think the big problem with that is that there, because there's so much overlap with other things, it's hard to put your finger on what exactly is the thing that is BII, and that's I think that is the number one problem why why physicians in particular are having are grappling with this and having a tough time coming to terms with the fact that, that it's actually happening because there's no one thing. I, I, I always, I always joke that my favorite medical word from, from medical school is patho mnemonic, which is a mouthful. But what that means is when you have a, a certain sign or symptom that is telling of one disease process, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. if a comes in and they have this one thing, you know for a fact that that their disease is X. And that doesn't exist for BII. You know, it's it's really more, there's no uh, blood level that you, you can measure yet, right? There's no lab exam. There's no imaging exam. There's no pathologic diagnosis from the capsules that, that says this patient had BII and that patient didn't. And um, and so that's the troubling, that's the confusing part, I should say, about it. It's confusing for me, and I do this all the time. So it's like, why? How do you how do you know? It, it, it comes down to the patient, which is the reason that we're here in the first place. It comes down to the patient having a conversation with the patient. How are you feeling? What's better? What's not better? And that's the reason I started collecting symptom data on patients this year because I want to know I want to know uh, objectively like how, which patients are getting better and if and, and which symptoms are getting better and, and if they're not getting better why are they not getting better uh, you know and so that so that I can then go and then write a paper and, and communicate it to the to the powers that be in in my world of plastic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's unfortunately that takes a long time but which is which is okay. I think we need all need to do our due diligence, plastic surgeons, in researching it. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's acceptable to wait to take care of patients until we have all these studies complete because that's never going to happen. You know, there's never going to be a sing singular moment in time where someone comes out and says, "Aha, we have it. This is mm -hmm. it. We found it. They got the golden ticket. Now we got to start explanting people." It's just not, I just don't see that as being a realistic thing. And I think it's much more realistic and, and other plastic surgeons can come and haw and yell at me and make fun of me and whatever. But when I have a hundred patients 
who have documented that, hey, I, I had this, that, and the other, and you know, a year later, they're fine. I mean, that's enough proof for me. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in this business for other plastic surgeons. I'm in this business to take care of people. That's what I do. That's Absolutely. why. That's why I went to medical school. That's why I did general surgery. Uh, that's why I did plastic surgery. You know, and I and I just kind of happened to be in a unique position because of my training and what I do. That I can do it and do it safely and do it and get and get what I think are very nice results for patients because they came into this initially. Uh, you know, to have to have most patients had came in to have have breast implants because they wanted to look good and feel better. And so I don't want to, I, I want them to walk away looking good and feeling better, mm -hmm. feeling better physically, but feeling also feeling better emotionally and psychologically. I mean, that, that's, that's why, that's why we're doing this. Absolutely. I love that you pointed out that this was really a worldwide movement that was created by the patients that were sick, um, coming together and spreading awareness. I think that that it's just a reminder to all of us to trust our intuitive guidance, even when doctors do push back. Um, and I know Amanda, you and I have had a lot of conversation about that because I was in a position as well, where I went to several doctors, you know, some of them right around the same, <laughs> on the same street as you. And they just denied that, that it, there was a potential for it, which I understand because, you know, maybe they hadn't seen it, seen it before, but, um, I just love that that there has been so many women have, who have continued to push to, to get the answers. Um, and, I would and they're continuing to do that. Yeah. And they should continue to do that. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, like the press is supposed to be the check on our politicians. I think patients need are, are kind of the check on us as physicians and, and, and they should be, you know, you know, there, there's some caveat to that because there's a lot of patients that come into my office or other offices who think that they, they know enough about how to take care of one thing or the other. And they think they know because they searched it on the internet. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that can be, that can be a dangerous slippery slope too. And mm -hmm. it's, and it is, I think my duty as a physician and surgeon to sort of rein that in and sort of point people in the right direction and to, and to say, yes, I can help you or no, I can't. Or like, I mean, you know, this is the, I don't, I don't have an answer for you. And what you're asking me to do is not the right answer. I mean, there is a lot of, a lot of that, that, that can and should happen. Plastic surgery, whether it's breast implants or anything else, it shouldn't be what I hear so often from patients is I went to have this procedure, you know, I, I get handed them my credit card. They said, yes, there was no discussion whatsoever. He just said, you know, the office manager or the surgeon was just like, okay, let's do this. Now I'm sure that's not entirely, entirely the way it went down, but, but I also know that there's probably a fair amount of truth to it. Um, and that's why I think, um, you know, no matter, no matter what the, no matter what the procedure is that we're doing, whether I was a general surgeon, plastic surgeon, urologist, neurosurgeon, no matter what it is, like it's our job because we've been put into a privileged, into a privileged position. It's our job to educate people as to what the right thing is. 
and as to what the risks are and what the benefits are. That's what informed consent is about. And that's what Robin Tout has been preaching from the rooftops. That's what it's working to get done at a legislative level. Um, it's unfortunate that she's had to do that to some extent because it's sort of our Hippocratic oath. You know, the Hippocratic oath is first do no harm. And a part of that, I think, is to, you know, tell, tell patients, hey, this is, you know, I can help you with this X, Y, and Z, but X, Y, and Z can also go sour. Here's how it can go sour. And if you are willing to accept that risk, then let's do it. And if you're not, then you should keep your money and go home and, you know, live to fight another day and let's figure out something else for you, whatever that may be. And, um, and, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of this, you know, this, this is like, it's like an octopus with a lot of tentacles, but like a lot of, a lot of what we do is, is and what we should be fighting for is informed consent. Um, and I've always said, and I continue to say, informed consent is not a signature on a piece of paper. Informed consent is a discussion that you have with the patient mm -hmm. so that you can verify that they, they hear you, they get it. You know, the, the signature on a piece of paper is, is great for the court of law, but it's not really good for the human being. It's just not. So, so, you know, we have a lot of doctors are not perfect. Um, no one is perfect. Everyone is human. But, you know, I, I continue to evolve um, and my practice is continuing to evolve. And if this is how it's evolving, I'm fine with that as long as, as, long as patients are getting better and are happy at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, I remember signing my documents. I don't think I read them. <laughs> I think I just... <laughs> sign them away. Amanda, you probably as, as well. Um, yeah. I've just had so many women say to me, they're like, do I really have to read all of this? And mm -hmm. I always would say the same thing. Yes. It's yes. Just yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, Amanda, I would love if you could share quickly about your personal story um, and how you and Dr. Brenner met and then how you two collaborated to bring together this holistic breast team. Um, and more specifically, why it's often so challenging for those suffering from BII to heal without multiple avenues of support. And that's, you know, the ultimate goal that you guys are working towards in terms of creating this, this team that you guys collaborated on and, and put together, which is so incredible to be a part of. Yeah, well, I will say, Sarah, so I, you know, I tracked you down from a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I stalk my prey on YouTube and then mm -hmm. I unimpeded <laughs> No, really, our stories were so similar. And I think one reason being that um, you and I were just really lucky. And you know why? It's because you and I had the resources to be able to see so many different practitioners to try to um, heal with so many different modalities. And sadly, you know, there were so many takeaways from this experience that even as difficult as it was, I would never take it back because I learned so much. Um, but one just being that I realized, you know, the average person never gets to experience all of these different modalities, all of these different practitioners. And, and that's, um, that's a luxury today. The average person is so busy putting food on the table for their families and just trying to take care of them. They don't get to go and try acupuncture or 
you know, maybe even have the extra money to do the testing that's required if they're not feeling well. So, you know, the average person goes through their life, maybe something is wrong and they don't have the money or the time to look into it. I can't tell you how many women I speak to who say, you know, I lost my career. I lost my husband. I lost friends and family because I was sick. And, and we will later find out, right, that it was maybe their implants after they took them out because they feel better and they start healing. Had they known, and they could have taken them out before, but lives, right, from chronic illness have forever been changed, all because the awareness wasn't there. Um, so when I saw your story and you had gone to a surgeon to explant just right down the street, who I was familiar with, I thought, you know, her story is very similar to mine. And so I bet that um, I bet we can resonate with each other's. So yes, I worked in plastic surgery on and off both facial and um, worked for surgeons both in Washington and Beverly Hills um, for gosh, 20 years now. And for seven of the years that I worked there, I was chronically ill came out of nowhere, um, had a little fender bender. A gentleman hit me from behind. It was not a big deal, but the pain in my body, you would have thought I got hit by a Mack truck and it didn't make sense at the time. But now we just know that that was the inflammation that the implants were already causing. And, you know, everybody's body has that tipping point and yeah, the implants were put in. I probably already had a terrain that wasn't super healthy. Um, I had had another accident in 2001. Somebody rear-ended me 60 miles out, 60 miles an hour from behind. So I was already in a weakened state. And so if you look at the body holistically, Sarah, since we're so into holistic medicine, we would know that that compromises the hormones and it's your immune system is already so compromised by that stress to the body, whether it be physical or mental, that that just wouldn't have been good timing anyway for me to have gotten the implants. Um, so that being said, I had never been sick before. I'm really lucky. I come from, my father was a doctor. My mom, really healthy. You know, we um, had family dinners every night, never ate processed foods, anything. So. I didn't know what that was like um, to be sick. So I thought when you're not feeling well to go to doctors, you would be treated compassionately um, like I treated patients for so long. And pretty quickly I started realizing, wow, this is kind of weird. Nobody's supporting me. Nobody <laughs> seems to want to really help. They're kind of brushing me off, acting like, you know, something's wrong with me. I must have anxiety. And here I was really pleading with somebody to listen. And the symptoms that were coming out, everything from heart palpitations, definite thyroid issues, even though blood tests weren't showing anything was wrong. My hair was falling out. Um, Vision-wise, I, I went from having perfect vision to needing to wear glasses all day long. Um, the inflammation, and what it did to my body for me, I mean, I kept talking about that because that's something that you could physically see because I felt like this was kind of an invisible illness. I remember so many doctors kept saying to me, and it's funny because I hear it from so many women, they kept saying, well, you look too good to be this sick. And I thought, 
Well, that's such a weird comment to make because A, you don't even know what I normally look like. So what, and what does too good look like to be sick? But then when the inflammation would um, set in and it was upwards of, you know, like 58 pounds, I think I gained at one point, that's not normal. <laughs> but yet the doctors, my primary care was saying, oh yeah, you know, you just turned 40, you gained a couple of pounds. 58 pounds of inflammation is not a couple pounds. I know my body. I'm very in tune with it. I was a dancer all growing up, um, very athletic. I've always worked out. Um, I know my body and I, a, I don't even, I can't even gain weight if I wanted to. So certainly gaining 58 pounds of inflammation is not normal, but it's like, I was having to say to the doctor, no, I think Inflammation on this level is my body's way of protecting my brain and my organs. So I kind of felt like, did I ingest something that was making me this ill? Um, I hadn't recently been out of the country, so it wasn't like I picked up anything weird. Yeah, long story short. So anyway, I saw 67 practitioners in all. I took just about every test you could take. There were a couple of practitioners, I will say, along the way. One was an emergency room doctor who um, I remember would have me walk the corridor so many times. I had just gotten off a plane from Scottsdale and I had felt so miserable. I said, this is it. I'm going to go to the ER. There's something very wrong. And he kept having me walk the corridor. He would take my pulse. Finally, after about 20 times, I said, what are we doing here? And he said, like he had, his eyes were so wide. He said, I'm looking at you and you look fine. But he said, when I take your pulse, it's like you're dead. I said, well, what does that mean? So then I heard someone in the background say, take her D-dimer count. And it was elevated. And I think they were kind of alluding to the fact that it could possibly be um, a stroke. And I had just gotten off the plane. So I thought maybe that's it maybe I'm going to have a stroke. Maybe this is going to completely change my life. But then they take the tests. Everything looks fine. But anyway, he contacted my, my, my primary care and said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with her, but I need you to get her in on Monday. Somebody needs to see her because something's really wrong. And so there were people who I know did care along the way, not one of those 67 practitioners ever asked, do you have an implanted medical device? Do you have breast implants? That I really hope to see change um, on more practitioners intake forms. And I think it is. I just saw someone post it on Instagram today. Um, but that was never a discussion because now when I talk to naturopaths, everybody's familiar with BII. They have tons of current patients either who haven't explanted or who have. So if we just found out earlier, but I think I had to go through that entire journey just to kind of get to the lowest point so I could really have an understanding for what these women have been through. Because if I had just found out, right, and it had only been like six months, I wouldn't have understood the gravity of, of this illness. So I, I do feel like I was supposed to go through all of that. Um, and so anyway, it was a woman in Santa Monica. She um, was a new colonic practitioner. Leah wasn't available. So I saw this other gal 
And um, I didn't even get into, oh, I haven't been feeling well. I just kind of said, oh, something's been going on. My legs, you can see it. My legs are so swollen with edema all the time. It's so odd. Um, anyway, at the end of it, this was December, 2018. I, um, so I had my session at the end. She said, I think I know why you're sick. And I'm thinking, okay, well, the colonic woman might know, even though 67 doctors and physicians, nobody else knew, but okay, lay it on me. And just so matter of factly, she said, it's your breast implants. And I looked at her and I said, oh, did you see what I do for a living? And she said, yeah, but uh, 11 other women have laid here on this table and they look and sound just like you. And when they take their breast implants out, they get better. And so, I mean, I left kind of like, okay, lady, like this, I, that doesn't even, I, I don't know. I was in denial, I suppose, but it was so odd every day after that, there was some sort of sign or something. I, even a guy friend called me to wish me happy holidays. And he said, how are you? And I said, you know, I'm still not feeling really great. And he said, you should call my neighbor. Her name's Stephanie, a woman I didn't even know. And I said, okay. And he said, whenever you talk about how you're feeling, you sound just like her. And I said, all right. So I called her and I was telling her my symptoms. And she said, Amanda, I need you to go to this Facebook group. She said, I think it's your breast implants. And I said, oh, you're telling me this too? Like what, what's up with the breast implants? I've worked, like I said, in the industry so long, I've never had any women coming in sounding like me. And so I get into this group that now has, I believe, at least 150,000 women in it. And I'm reading post after post, every woman's symptoms were exactly like mine, even very specifically saying like, I feel like I'm dying, you know, exact things that I had said to my mom. And it's like you, it's kind of like you went into the twilight zone. <laughs> like that's how I felt. Like, this is so crazy. And now we know there are something like 276 groups in Facebook all to do with breast implant illness. So long story short, uh, I think it was a couple of days later, you know, it's kind of soaking in. I'm still not fully awake to it though, because I'm like, this is so weird. Like I was still trying to wrap my head around it. And I went <laughs> for Botox um, and I, I liked my Botox practitioner. He's, he's very funny and he's not very serious. And as he, I'll never forget, as he's diluting, getting it ready, I said, because he knew I wasn't feeling well. I said, oh, you'll never believe what they think is wrong now. And you know how you're kind of trying to, you want someone to talk you out of it. And he said, oh, what? And I said, oh, they think my breast implants are making me sick. And the way he responded, I remember he put the bottle and the needle down and he scooted over on his little stool and he looked right up at me and he's just such a nice man. He had been through his own cancer scare. And he said, Amanda, if that's what you think that this could be, I've had just had six patients go through that. You need to take these out immediately. And he looked so genuinely concerned, it, it scared me. So I said, okay, I will make some appointments. 
And so being in Beverly Hills and with my experience, I made appointments with three surgeons who I thought would do a great job. And here I'm thinking I'm in, right, the beauty capital of the world. They're going to welcome me with open arms and say, oh, wow, okay, great. You finally figured it out. Let's put an end to your suffering. Let's get these out and get you better. But it was the opposite experience. Um, they all said the same thing. This is not real. These women are crazy. Um, don't buy into this, Amanda. It's not your breast implants. There's no need to take them out. They look great, which by the way, they, they did not look great in the end. I had already wanted to um, take them out and make them smaller. Um, the inflammation, they had like, they were like triple the size. It even seemed like when I got them in, they looked horrible. Um, and so, and I was then so much more confused because then I was looking at them and I said to each of them, I said, I was just in a group though with over a hundred thousand women, all who sound just like me. So um, I think I'm going to actually go with what they're saying, not with what you're saying. I'm, I'm willing to to try this out because I've tried everything else and it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And there's no clear diagnoses. Yeah, great, you know, my thyroid. I would always say to the doctors, my thyroid might be part of this, but that's not everything that's going on. So, um, and yeah, and then when that didn't work, all three of them said, and if you don't put another implant in, you're gonna be deformed. And I looked at each of them and I said, you know what? you let me worry about what it's gonna look like because I can't feel like this anymore. So I walked out of all three offices and um, I went home and I mean, the saddest part, and I just, that's why, again, I'm doing this because if it had just been another woman who had that same experience, she might not have the wherewithal to make that one more appointment like I did. She would listen to them and I've had so many women, including nurses, reach out to me and say, thank you so much for what you're doing because we've had our colleagues say to us for years, oh, we know you're sick, but whatever it is, it's 150% not your implants. So they don't research it. They definitely don't remove them. So they stay sick and then maybe eventually get around to explanting just years later and then realize it was my implants. And had I had better advice, I would have taken them out a long time ago. So, um, so I went home and I did something, I always say this, that I'd never done before. And I prayed because I felt like um, it was resonating with me. I had tried everything else. And I just said, God, if you find me a surgeon who will take these out, then I even believe that it's gonna look great too. I don't even know why I said that because truly at the time, I really didn't even care what it looked like. And um, yeah, I think it was the next day, could have been two days later, but I just tried Googling again, explant surgeon Beverly Hills and Dr. Kevin Brenner popped up. I didn't know him, but there was something that kind of seemed familiar. I thought, well, maybe you know, I've seen him on TV or something, but I don't know, that was my sign. I just thought I'm gonna make that appointment. And you know, if it had gone differently, I'm not sure where I'd be now. I'm not sure if I would have taken them out or if I would have said to myself, 
okay, Amanda, gosh, this isn't it. You have to keep looking, keep looking for other answers. So I went in, I told Dr. Brenner my whole story and um, it was interesting because his reaction was completely different. He said, Amanda, I think it's time that we take these out and leave them out. And I just remember kind of being stunned because this was, it wasn't even just the first plastic surgeon who was acknowledging me. This was the first practitioner, first physician in 67 and in seven years that was finally listening to me and finally acknowledging me. So that, that's a trip that definitely makes you feel like, whoa, okay. And so I think I looked at him for a second and I said, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. That is what needs to happen. And I explanted, he somehow got me in, I don't know how, like three weeks later. And, um, but it, and it wasn't just him, it was the whole team. The whole team that morning, I remember his nurse, Rosie, who was so amazing and his anesthesiologist, his anesthesia provider, you know, they were saying, you're going to get better today. And I remember, I mean, that was just so overwhelming. I remember just crying the entire morning, but I just thought, I mean, I couldn't even imagine because seven years might not sound like a long time, but when you're chronically sick every day for seven years and you don't think you are ever going to figure it out. I thought that, um, whatever this mystery illness was, was just going to be, you know, like what ended my life at some point. So, I mean, my focus was really just to spend as much time as I could with my family. Um, and so I didn't really think that I would even live that much longer. Um, yeah, it's just so amazing to think like, what, I could actually get better from all this. And it's a lot of pressure too. And I see that in all of our patients, they get so nervous and I get it, but it's not even necessarily, how am I going to look after? It's like, am I going to get better? You know, because when you've been this sick, I'm sorry, but vanity goes out the window. You don't care anymore. You know, and there are really beautiful women, right? Who spent a lot of money to get their implants because they cared about their vanity. They cared about what they look like. And in the end, it, it's true. That all really goes out the window. So, so yeah, so had my surgery, started feeling better immediately. Obviously your body does not heal immediately, but I definitely felt better. And um, yeah, I think that Dr. Brenner actually probably just kind of felt sorry for me. I remember saying to him, I didn't plan on working um, in that immediate future. I just wanted to just kind of be and just rest and um, heal. But then I remember saying to him one day, I said, what, you, what am I going to do for work? I never even thought about that. I'm not going to go and sell another pair of implants again. So I guess I was thinking I would go back into facial plastics. Um, but I really wanted to kind of do something um, just around helping people more. That's what I've always loved to do. Um, so yeah. And so at one point he said, would you help me and just handhold my patients through this process? And I said, oh, absolutely. I think I had taken a job in hair restoration for a while because I knew that that would be safe and no one would be harmed, <laughs> but it wasn't that exciting. So, um, and yeah, and along the way, because I had had so many amazing practitioners, I thought a holistic breast team sounded really amazing. And I knew that holistic medicine was gonna be at the forefront. So I thought, let's be the first. 
because it wasn't enough for me to just see these women explant. I want to see them get better. I want to see them have a better quality of life. I want to see these women get to be the best moms, the best wives, um, right? And, and you're seeing it with all these women on Instagram. It's like, it's really, it's really nice because they're getting their lives back again. Absolutely. And I, I truly believe as well that this is the way of the future. It's, it's creating a team for healing that addresses all parts of the patient. I know the last time the three of us um, had met, I, th- I think you mentioned that you, you, this was the, what well, was definitely the first holistic breast team, but I think it was, it, it still is the only holistic breast team in the nation. Um, and so I'm curious for you guys, what your hopes are for this powerful movement that you're starting. Um, and yeah, any final words about breast implant illness? And then I would love to just quickly talk about how you guys are helping individuals create awareness around, um, breast cancer awareness month. And then I promise to close it up after that. <laughs> I, I think that it, yes, I agree with both of you. This is to some extent, the wave of the future. I'm not sure what this is, but I think that, um, I mean, no, no matter the specialty, no matter the procedure, I think we as physicians should be listening to people, listening to our patients. Um, and I think that that's been a change in, you know, in terms of the holistic breast team, I, I'm, I'm Western medicine trained. That's my background. That's what I did. I can't undo that. I'm not going, you know, I don't have the wherewithal, time, money, et cetera, to go back and go to holistic medicine school. That's just, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm good at what I do. This is what I do. I'm not trying to recreate the wheel. Um, and you guys and everyone else on the team are great at what you do. Um, I've always said, even when I was in medical school, that you know, if alternative medicines work for someone, whatever, I'm using alternative medicine as a kind of a catch-all term. Um, if that works for someone, great. I mean, like, I'm all for it. It works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Some people go and get acupuncture and walk out laughing, saying that didn't do anything. And others walk out and say, oh my God, migraines gone or whatever or I'm not I'm no longer I don't, I don't feel like crave to smoke anymore I mean every, it, I mean this this is the thing that I think everyone needs to realize is that everybody is different how you respond to things are different um, medical issues are different everyone's genetics are different and your our immune systems are different um, you know just like why you know, as an example, like why when I'm in medical school, am I learning about 10 different blood pressure medications, right? Why do some people respond to one and others respond to another? Why do some people respond to a diabetes medication and others respond to another? Why do, you know, and you can extrapolate that to everything, right? And and there's, there are a lot of holistic therapies that work for people. And I don't think, you know, if it doesn't work, great, move on, try something else. Um, There's all, you know, there is, 
if, if, if it, if it's helpful, then use it. If you, if what, whatever that is, whether it's detoxification or ozone therapy or psychotherapy or this, that, and the other, I mean, psychotherapy as an example, and you guys will appreciate this is, is very helpful for a lot of people, right? But there are some people that have an organic uh, metabolic neurologic disorder that need that require medication in order to even be, you know, it, have a clarity of thought to be able to process psychotherapy. So that's why I'm like, everyone's different. Like, why does one person um, get COVID-19 exposure and have a sniffle or lose their, their, their taste sense? And then three days later, they're perfectly fine. And another person goes into overwhelming um, systemic in inflammation and ends up on a ventilator and dies a couple weeks later. It's not because the virus is any different. It's the same virus, right? It's the same exposure. It's what, whatever it is, like your immune system is different. People are different. Your, your experience in terms of what you've been eating your entire life, what you've been drinking your entire life, everyone's different and, and and I think when we start recognizing that on a larger scale it'll open our eyes to a lot a lot more things absolutely Amanda do you have anything that you're extremely inspired by in terms of just this movement to make people aware that there are these other avenues for healing specifically after um explant because I that's that's what I have found specifically working with people who are explanting a lot of what I'm seeing specifically is more the emotional and the mental side right. the challenges of the anger at themselves that they, that they put the implants in to begin with the mm -hmm. anger at their partner who bought them the implants, the frustration of not knowing for two years, the anger at their doctors, like there's so much healing that has to take place in this process. And so that's, that's where I find this sort of moment. So empowering is because we can address the physical symptoms and we can take the implants out, but there's still often in some individuals, not all uh, deeper layers of, of healing and then doing the, the work around the body and, you know, forgiving the body and, and trusting that the body can heal. And then also the, the self-love component of loving yourself unconditionally, regardless of, of what you look like after. So, um, you know, there are these other, these other avenues too. So I'm just curious for you, if there's, if there's one piece that feels really inspiring well, what I noticed in the beginning when I was in the Facebook groups, and this was before I was working with Dr. Brenner with our own patients, I just noticed that the women who seem to, and it makes a lot of sense actually, to have BII, there was always a traumatic um, component to it. And it makes sense in the sense that, like we talked about before, um, you know, your hormones can be weakened with traumas and so forth, like the example I gave of myself. So I always say explant is just merely step number one to healing. Sometimes I worry about saying it because I don't want women to then say, oh gosh, well, if that's just number one, well, I'm not even gonna bother then because that just seems too overwhelming in my healing. But you know, there is that um, emotional component and, and then delving into, and I've, I've done the same. I mean, for these last two and a half years, worked on a lot of um, trauma healing stuff that I didn't deal with before. It's interesting. I have never though, I will say been angry. And mm -hmm. I know that that is real. I have, I am angry when I still hear the way women are being treated by physicians 
and so forth. That that does make me upset. But I never was upset like at myself for putting them in or, oh, Amanda, that was a dumb move. You should have done more research now. I feel but like- You didn't know. Yeah, I feel like I did a great job at the time with what I had. Yeah, you shouldn't beat yourself up over it, whether it's you or anyone else, but a lot of people just are naive to it. And that doesn't make you a bad person. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, I mean, there's a 50% divorce rate in this country. A lot of people are naive going into a marriage that ends up, you know, and it's not, it's kind of the same process of at some point in your life, realizing that something's wrong and then mm -hmm. separating from it. Absolutely. And taking that courageous step and that empowered step to, you know, yeah. come to the right doctor like you and, you know, come to you, Amanda, and, and get the support that they, that they need. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Sarah. But I just wanted to say that though, is to introduce to the public, to mainstream, more mm -hmm. alternative therapies like kinesiology, like let's say acupuncture, if they don't know it. And so that's what I am getting to do mm -hmm. with my Instagram account, the holistic beauty coach, because too, now women are having to make complete lifestyle changes right? I mean, you would agree, Sarah. I mean, once you take your breast implants out and maybe this is not everyone, but I'm just saying for me and a lot of the women who follow me, you no longer want to put chemicals in your body of any sort, right? You're kind of feeling like I have another chance now to do this right. So I'm showing women things that we can do. We still all want to look great. We want to look our best but maybe they don't want to do Botox. Maybe they do, you know, whoever, but I'm just trying to give other options and trying to introduce all these different really cool modalities that help me in case maybe it can help somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, but, and it's, it is happening. You see it on Instagram. Absolutely. Everyone's trying all these different things to boost their immunity and so forth that are natural. Yeah. And I, and I'm absolutely in agreement of bio-individuality and what works for one person, you know, doesn't work for someone else. And in all of my programs, it's about co-creating, you know, it's about working with the client to discern what works best for them and then having them work with their doctors to, again, you know, really, really recognize that um, there shouldn't be disappointment in something not working. That should be an, an empowered sort of gratitude. Okay. We we're, we're recognizing what's not working. And so we're going to step into, into what is, um, my last question, I know we're running a little over, but as this month is breast cancer awareness month, I just wanted to touch on kind of what your team, what you guys are doing to, to inspire individuals to take care of their breast health, not even just this month, but year round, because I think it's important to have it front of mind, um, and to continue to come back just given the, the increased rates of breast cancer and, um, and just to make sure that people are aware of, of prevention and, um, any other things you guys are suggesting in your practice? Well, you know, I've, I've always said an, an ounce of prevention, prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think that's true for a lot of things. Um, I, I still continue to advocate for regular imaging for patients. Um, I, I, I find it interesting that, um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but like uh, in terms of uh, colonoscopy for colon cancer screening, as an example, uh, it used to be that the, the recommended, and by recommended, I mean by like the American Cancer Society, recommended starting at age 50. Well, that 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 was just what, what was accepted for my entire career. That was, that's what it was. And then about two years ago, they're like, oh no, we need to start screening at 45 because we're seeing colon cancer early. Well, we're seeing breast cancer earlier. I mean, I've seen 
people who are way, 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 way too young to be having breast cancer, having breast cancer. And usually the younger you are, the more aggressive it is. That just tends to be the ones that present young. And, you know, we've, it's always been like, well, we start imaging at uh, age 40 and now people are sort of, there's no, there's no rule set in stone, but people are advocating for, maybe we should start imaging at, at age 35 to see if we can pick up cancers earlier than, you know, letting them brew for a while, which is not a bad idea. But then you also are faced with, well, um, the whole problem with mammography is the radiation exposure from the mammograms themselves. So um, we've, we've been pushing very hard for uh, ultrasound and 3D ultrasound, which I don't know if, it, if we're yet at the place where it completely supplants mammography, but it certainly complements it. I mean, I know that, I mean, there are, there are breast cancers that you can't pick up on mammography. I mean, it's just, it, mammography is just a specialized x-ray of the breast tissue. Um, and ultrasounds, it's a, it's a different modality and you can, you can pick up things and see things that you can't see. Uh, just like you can see things that you may not see on ultrasound with an MRI. And so, you know, we work with, you know, Jasmine Corsandi at, at Sonocine and she's been amazing at imaging our patients. I have a very low threshold for sending a patient, no matter the age, for preoperative ultrasound or if someone doesn't want uh, to get a mammogram for whatever reason. For a lot of women with breast implants, it simply just hurts to get a mammogram because they got to do compression views in order to see all the breast tissue. So again, this goes back to listening to listening to the patient and saying like, okay, well, I know we recommend a mammogram every year, but if you don't want to do it, will you at least do an ultrasound? Let's, I think something's better than nothing. And I still think whether it's before before explant, after explant, or they never had implants, that people still need to get imaged because breast cancer is not going away. You're absolutely correct that it's increasing in frequency and it's happening earlier ages. Um, I, I, I have a friend uh, that I trained with who's a radiologist who we're, we're kind of investigating looking at rapid MRI for screening for screening for breast disease, which is an interesting avenue that we're trying to trying to look to see if we a a it's useful b it's uh, effective and picks up things c if we can get insurance to pay for it. There's a lot of different uh, aspects to all of this, um, and you know, in terms of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I I I am constantly advocating for people to screen because breast cancer sucks. I mean, and, and you don't want to get it. And, but if, if you are going to get it, the people that do the best are the ones that find it super early. Um, so, you know, self-exam is super important. Imaging is super important. Following up with your doctor and getting regular breast exams is important. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't care why you're coming to my office. If you're a woman and you have breasts, that's what you need to be doing. Amazing. Thank you so much. Amanda, do you have any last words or anything you want to share before we close out? Well, again, I just think the holistic beauty coach also likes to remind that low vitamin D levels can lead to breast cancer. And a lot of us have low vitamin D levels um, as well estrogen dominance. And I'm seeing a lot of women, including myself with breast implants tend to have estrogen dominance. So again, 
not trying to make people feel bad, just pointing it out that they're just things to be aware of that most women don't know. So we talk about all of that when I talk to them before they meet with Dr. Brenner. So I just, I want to teach women too, kind of what I did. I mean, when no one was helping me when I was sick, I just said to myself, okay, well then I will go teach myself. And that's when I learned from all these amazing doctors and I went back to school and got my wellness certification because right, if you're gonna save your own life, you need mm-hmm. to learn why. So I just try to teach all of my followers about the human body so they can learn to do this on their own. And you know what? I think it's working. I really do. Cause I get so many DMS. I, I mean, my whole life could just be my Instagram account and helping the women on there all day long, but they're learning about their bodies. They never knew any of this before. So it's cool. Yeah. It's absolutely cool. Thank you both so much for being here. I feel, I feel so incredibly blessed to be part of this holistic breast team. And, and not only because you guys are listening to your patients and addressing the symptoms they're experiencing, but because you're both courageously speaking out and you're speaking out publicly and you're, you know, kind of leading the way. And, and that's just so, so special to be a part of. And again, I'm just really incredibly grateful for you both and your time and excited to get this out and, and share so more people have this awareness. Well, hopefully we can uh, help more women as a result of this very podcast. And there's the only way, the only way that we can get the word out is to what we call force multiply, which is to have me say it and Amanda say it and you say it and Jasmine say it, and then have them tell 10 people, this is like mm-hmm. my, an old, an old TV commercial. And then they tell 10 people, that's how it works. I mean, that's how you spread the word. That's what, that's how this whole thing came about on Facebook and on all, on all the social media platforms. Yeah. So you think Absolutely. you're doing a great job with it. So awesome. I Thank tell you. gas station attendants. I mean, I tell people who don't want to even hear about it. <laughs> Lady, like seriously, keep moving. And I'm like, no, but really about my implants. <laughs> well, you know, my, my kids know about breast implant illness. They're 10 and 12. Yeah. I, would, I, would, I would argue that they're probably the only 10 and 12 year olds in this country that are like, yeah, my dad takes care of breast implant illness. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. I'm pretty sure they're never getting breast implant. <laughs> that's amazing. I told Dr. Renner that the morning of my surgery, I said, don't you ever let your children get these. Wait. But that's where, it be, that's where we kind of have to begin. We've got to take care of who, everyone who's suffering, but like you have to begin by educating before they get there. Mm-hmm. This is, this is the ounce of prevention. Yeah. I'm curious where, um, the best place to connect with both of you is just for, you know, more information. I, I will definitely link obviously the, the holistic breast team in the, in the show notes, but yeah, I think for Amanda, it's the, her, your IG account. Right. And then for me, you can, you can always reach out to me at IG, on my Instagram account or call the office and our uh, phone number is 310-777-5400. And uh, if you reach out to Amanda, she'll probably connect you to me. And if you reach out to me, I will connect you to Amanda. So, And Kevin Brenner, MD, is his Instagram as well as his, web, is his website, right? Um, uh, that is correct. Kevin Brenner, MD? Yes, it's Kevin, <laughs> at Kevin Brenner, MD. Is like at Kevin Brenner, MD. Okay, there you go. Perfect. Thank you guys so, so much. All right, thanks, guys. We love you. Love you. Bye. What a truly incredible episode. I'm so grateful to have had such a powerful discussion about this important topic and movement. And so if you're here, whether you're currently 
you know, deciding about getting your own implants, you currently have implants, maybe you're experiencing symptoms, or maybe you're currently detoxing and wondering when you're going to start feeling better. Wherever you are on this journey, I'm sending you so, so much love. And I encourage you to keep listening to your intuition and trusting that your body is giving you answers. And I also encourage you to trust that it is important to do your research and to continue to move forward in the direction that feels always best for you. I hope this conversation served as a powerful reminder, again, to take initiative for your health and a reminder that you are your body's best advocate. Please understand that my intention today isn't to discredit anyone in the healthcare community in that specific industry or steer you away from making a choice, even if it's to get implants, if that feels right for you. The sole purpose of this conversation is just to bring awareness to breast implant illness and how it's impacted some of our lives. And so if this resonated, I encourage you to please share with others that might also be struggling with BII. My greatest wish for you and for anyone suffering is, again, to empower every individual to be an advocate for their health in a way that feels genuine, authentic, and sustainable. Lastly, we would absolutely love to connect with you further, so please make sure to connect with us on Instagram, and we will be dropping all of those handles in the show notes. Until next week, I'm sending you so much love, and I trust that you will have a beautiful, incredible week ahead. All right, that concludes this podcast. It is my honor to always share with you, but hang tight because I have one last thought. You are here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feeling of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here, you are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. And if you benefit from it, it would mean the world to me if you could please spread this movement and share it with one person who you know would also benefit. We are all in this together, so thank you for being here and part of this movement.